0: Welcome to Brave Knitting. This is episode 21, being released on August 1st, 2020. This is Linda, and I'm here today with Pat for the third feature in our trifecta. Pat, what are we being brave about today? We're being brave about speaking. Woo-hoo! Okay, so... For those of you who may not know, steeking is when you cut something that you have knit in the round in order to create an opening, most frequently a a neckline or like for a cardigan. And Pat, I understand you found um, the origin of the word steeking.
1: I I did. The the word steek is Scottish. And it means to close, to shut, to stitch, or to enclose. So it refers to those extra stitches that you add to a garment to bridge the gap where you're gonna want an opening. Oh,
0: all right, very good. We learn something every day, right? We do. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't really know where the, where the name came from. I'm glad, I'm glad you looked that up, that was good. All right, so why do we steek?
1: There's lots of reasons, Linda. I think you've got the main one, don't you?
0: Yeah. Right? The the main one is color work. And this is where you traditionally hear about and see steaking is when you're doing color work, particularly Fair Isle, a lot of people don't like to purl using two colors, two or more colors. And so they like to knit. And so to knit. You knit in the round; it makes it easier. But then, if you want to make a a cardigan, it just kind of, you you know, you need to cut it open. So that's where you see it most frequently. And you can also,
1: while you're knitting that sweater in the round, you can also create steep panels for armhole openings or the neck opening. Those are a couple other ideas, right? In a sweater. Um, I also like and have done, we'll talk about later, for decorative items such as pillow pops, tops of
0: pillow. Right. So. Yeah, I guess, or, or just anything that you, you want something to be flat, but it's fair aisle or color work and you don't want to knit it flat. Just knit it in the round and then cut it up. Right. <laughs> Um, I guess another pe- reason people stique is if just in general, I guess if you don't want to purl something, you could you could make anything, and like think of any card, any type of sweater, that even if it didn't have color work, if you didn't feel like purling, and you were a really fast knitter, let's say, you could you could you do it and and just just knit and then cut it, right? Absolutely. And then an, another thing that I discovered is that another reason people steak outside of knitting is if they're converting a pullover sweater into a, let's say, a, a cardigan or a half zip or a quarter zip. And I guess that's a fairly common thing. Even people will do that with just store bought items. Or maybe, you know, maybe something you knit years ago that you're tired of it being a pullover. And you wanted to be a cardigan, um, so that's another idea.
1: I actually like that idea, Linda. I I have a sweater I don't wear that I've knitted, and I'm I'm seriously thinking whether I should stick it or not. So right, uh, just that idea of you know reusing a, something old that you've got in the closet. Yeah, just just like a way that.
0: to you know reinvent things. Re,
1: yeah. Repurpose. Repurpose. There you go.
0: All right, so. Before you... St- what we discovered, right? Because we, we both went down a sticking path for this episode. <laughs> yes. What we discovered is that you probably want to consider some things before you start your project. So don't just jump into the project and then decide you're going to cut it open later, right? That You, you probably want to take some things into account first. I, I think you do that because it will maybe
1: send you a certain way or have you do a certain kind of steak if you know what your end result is going to be right for example are you going to be picking up stitches for a button band that might suggest a certain kind of speak panel or are you going to be um, having decorative edges such as um, a braid or an eye cord uh, a bias trim right.
0: or even like a some people put like a grow grain, just sew a grow grain ribbon right along the edge as a decorative right. trim.
1: Yeah. Um, I think the biggest one that, uh, and uh, you'll speak to this later, is if you're going to be inserting the zipper. I think that might call for a certain way that you want to
0: create your steak panel and do your steaking. Right. The method you use. Right. Because we, what we discovered is there are many methods. Yes, lots. <laughs> so, so know what they are before you proceed, right? I, I think that our journey of doing uh,
1: um, swatches and and experimenting and trying these different methods, I, I really thought that was a great idea that we did that.
0: Right. And in some ways, I wish I had done it because in my case, I had already knit a sweater that I intended to steek the Oranier that I've talked about on the podcast many, many, many times. I made the Oranier according to the instructions, but I kind of wish I had known about all the different techniques for steaking, and I wish I had tried them all, and I might have done the steaking part of the project a little bit different than what the pattern called for if that makes sense. Okay. And will
1: you tell us or get into it later? What?
0: I will. I will. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I will. Um, so
1: those are the different things you consider before you start, right? If you're thinking of steaking.
0: Right. The other thing I think you need to think about is the fiber that you're going to use for your steaking project. And I know, I, I sound like a broken record talking about the non-superwash <laughs> wool, that this is like my mission now, that that's all I care about or want to see. But you know what I'm finding out there in Knitlandia, <laughs> that I'm hearing that more and more from other people. I, I see that more in a lot of the groups, like Facebook groups I'm in for knitting and I just hear a lot more talk about people really embracing these non-superwash wools. So in the case of steeking, the, the main reason that these non-superwash wools are your friend is that they felt easily. So that means that after you cut your knitting, that it's not just going to fall apart and unravel. Um... So, you know, it felt easily, and and even if you don't felt it, it does hold together nicely. Another another reason is because most times when you're steaking, you're you're doing it on color work. And as we've talked about in our last episode, that the non-superwash wool just seems to show off your color work a little bit better and seems to be a little bit friendlier fabric for doing color work. But that's not to say you, don't, you can't use something else.
1: Oh no, I, I learned, and I was kind of surprised to learn that you can use other fibers or you can use superwash wool that doesn't have that same stickiness that non-superwash does right? because it's been processed. But so you can use uh, a cotton, right? Um, you can use a, sup, uh, a superwash wool but here I'm going to caution anyone who does this to say number one experiment first before you try it and you have to have to reinforce your steek whereas in wool there you don't necessarily have to reinforce the steak area before you cut but if you're using non-superwash I mean using a superwash or an, a non-wool fiber, you're really going to want to reinforce. So you're going to want to do that backstitch by hand, or you're going to want a machine stitch. Or there's a fusible method also, which... Right, we'll uh, talk about a little bit later. Yeah, we will. Uh, I did not swatch a non-superwash, did you? I did. Oh, you experimented. I did experiment, yes. Oh, you're pulling one over <laughs> on me. You didn't tell I me. I forgot okay. to mention that.
0: Well, I, it wasn't intentional that I that I used the the superwash. It was a superwash wool that I used for one of my many swatches that I did for steaking. It, it just happened to be the yarn I picked up when I was doing this one technique that I'll talk about later when we talk about the specific techniques. And I can say that. That technique would have worked a lot better if it had been a superwash. It had, if it had been non-superwash. So, oh, I'm anxious to hear about this. Uh, so there you go. Experiment. Okay. Yeah, but but I think yeah, we, we have to really. There are we're going to talk about these different reinforcing methods. But when you're using you know cotton or superwash wool, you really want a reinforcing method that you're very confident in. That's the bottom line. Exactly, and reinforcing is necessary. Whereas yes, in, it's essential. In yeah.
1: non-superwash,
0: you can get away with just cutting. You can get away with just cutting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the other thing that was sort of interesting—that uh, things you want to consider before you actually do the steek—is to block or not to block. And it's kind of interesting because when I did a little research on this, I basically found recommendations in both directions. That some instructions were saying block before you steek, and some were saying don't block before you steek. And it's very interesting that you and I did different things. So we did. You did not steek. Why not? I, mean, I did, not you block. did not block you did Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I
1: don't know what I'm but talking about here. Yes, yeah. but I did not block before the steak and it had to do with what the actual project was. And the project was a pillow top, just the top. I was not knitting. I was, I wanted to knit a top for a pillow with, and I'm going to face, I'm going to use a regular fabric for the backing. So for me, all my edges were going to be seamed and I needed that pillow top to measure a certain dimension and I thought my best way to get that would be to stick and then block okay so I did because I was thinking it didn't make sense to me to try to block a tube that I was going to cut to make a rectangle and try to get certain exacting dimensions. Right. That's just what I figured in my and as it turns
0: out it worked perfectly. Right. Yeah, I wonder what would have happened if you had done both. <clears throat> if you had blocked beforehand and and then blocked after also. What would be the what, what would blocking before accomplish, do you think? Well, that was kind of my take is that I wanted to block before, because I did it, you know, mine was on a sweater, right, that had color work at the very top and at the bottom, and the the middle part of the sweater was just a solid color. And I really wanted, I wanted everything to be nice and smooth and flat when I cut. So that was sort of my rationale for, for blocking ahead of time. And like I say and I kind of did that and then after the fact we we talked about it and we discovered we had approached it different from a different point of view and did different things and then later when I went and researched this to see if there was some instruction I I found people saying both things I did find and I can't remember who this was but I did find one person who had made the comment that they had that they did not block before they steaked and after the fact they wish they had.
1: So I understand what you're saying that you, you would want to block so that it would be flat and the stitches would so to speak come together. But I'm wondering in my mind that wasn't important because the area that I was steaking was going to be in a seam.
0: Okay. Yeah. And I guess the other reason for me is that I wanted, because I was sticking a sweater, you know, that was pretty long and it has this kind of really high neck to begin with. And then the neck has a facing that folds in. So the, you know, the neck is like eight inches or something ridiculous. So it was a really long column that I was going to have to cut that I guess I wanted to be sure that my stitches were straight where I was cutting also. So that was another reason. So so the answer is block or don't block, whatever you feel like doing.
1: (laughs) Well, I just realized another reason was I didn't, I knew I was going to needle felt. So when you do that, and we're going to talk about needle felting later, seeing that column, right, and going up in the middle of it is a little different when you've needle felted the whole panel panel, in my head. What
0: do you mean it's a little different?
1: Well, when I cut into a column of stitches that have not been needle felted versus needle felted, I think the definition of those rows and those stitches is all mixed up after you needle felt, although I know what you're saying. On the front side, though, you still do see them. Yeah, Never mind. on the front side, you okay.
0: see them, and and I, and that was one of the things I had trouble with. You know, not not on the solid part of my sweater, but on the the part that had the color work. Uh, and the color work was basically black and white, and it it went from being like a like a checkerboard to this other kind of braid thing. There were all these things that when I got, when I was cutting in that area, it, it was not real clear where the column was. And the column would kind of like go off to the side a little bit. And I'd have to, so, yeah, I, I'm glad. i glad. I think in my case, blocking helped. It, it certainly didn't hurt, I guess. Okay. And I, I will
1: say, I think I treated it the way I did because I was creating like a piece of fabric that was going to be. Right. Sewing, you know right. all around I wouldn't I
0: think on a sweater I would do what you did I'd block first right because I also think blocking once I cut it would be more difficult yeah uh, Ooh,
1: that's a good point too yes
0: yeah so well, it yeah. depends on what you're doing <laughs> or you know research it some more and let us know what you find out because we found all kinds of mixed messages and that's what we're giving you today. Mixed, mixed <laughs> yes. messages on blocking for sticking. <laughs> All right. So what are those techniques, Linda? All those different ones. All right. So most patterns call for an extra steep, for extra steep stitches. And and that is, and in, in most cases, it's seven stitches. I've seen some instructions, like in the case of my sweater, it was only five. I was watching another video today by Pearl Soho, I'll talk about in a few minutes, that had ten. But it's it's the extra space in the pattern where you're putting in some extra stitches where you're going to cut down the middle of one or sometimes between two. That's another difference, which I found was interesting. And then a couple of spare stitches on either side, and in most cases, when and your, your pattern will normally call for this, but in most cases, you'll you'll do something a little bit different for those steak stitches. Just what? What do you mean different? You mean color Yeah, color-wise? Or? Just sort of distinguish them. Um, okay. You could also as we saw once again in this pearl soho video that I'll talk about in a few minutes that you could put a column of pearl stitches um to to border the sneaking stitches you just you you're just trying to sort of differentiate them as they're they're not part of the normal part of the garment um and that they will get they will get folded over, you know, into kind of a salvage or, or, um, facing whatever. Right. Does that makes sense. It does. And, and in fact,
1: I'll, I'll speak to it directly when I talk about this pillow top later uh, about differentiating.
0: So it, it's so, really important. So for all techniques, almost, you'll, yeah. you'll do these extra steak stitches. And that they, so like in the case of a fair aisle, you know, you'll have a pattern going, but when you get to the steek stitches, it might, the, your steek stitches might just be a, um, like in the case of my, my pattern, it'll just be a checkerboard. It won't continue that same pattern. So it just makes it easier for you to see when you're steeking it.
1: Correct. You will, otherwise if you had continued in pattern just in with extra stitches it would have been really hard to differentiate where to cut from right
0: right yeah it would just make it more difficult for you to put you know some guide um, basting stitches or something Um, so you'll usually see those Um, so you're going to talk about the most common method that we hear about right the crochet method yes and we have both actually we've both done that method so let me just briefly describe
1: the method, and then we can talk about pros and cons that we each feel about the method. Um, The crochet method is you're going to, in your steak panel, you will identify that center column, which is the column that you're going to cut. Using a crochet hook, you're going to create a chain on each side of that center column. And it's going to actually create a ridge and, it will actually pull away the stitches and make it easy to identify where to cut. Um, that's a really simple explanation right. of what it yeah. is. That's good. Now, I'm, I'm going to start off because actually after all the different methods I tried, this is my favorite. Oh, okay. So I don't really have a con for this one. I found it extremely tidy, I'm going to call it. And I liked the way it looked uh, versus some of the other methods. And I think the part I like best is that um, on the so you have the center column of the steak panel, and then you have the two sides. And then on that one side is where I picked up stitches, Linda, to create a band. Okay. okay. After you did the crochet, a button yeah. band. So I had. I had cut, I had cut down the center column after I created my two crochet edges. Then I, a couple of rows over, picked up stitches, and the entire, um, that crochet, crochet ridge and the part that was cut turned inside and created a beautiful facing. Okay. I just really liked the way it looked.
0: Yeah, and I think that's probably why it's the most popular is that you know it, it is very neat. And for people who know how to crochet, it's probably very fast and easy. I think for me, who has some disability when it comes to crochet for some reason, I, I'm getting better when I have, but I, I did the crochet method multiple times. I think I did it on three separate swatches. Did that help? It got your it method. Got, your crocheting. It got better, but it never really looks good, and it's really laborious for me. It's really slow, and um. I really hate it. Okay, well then, it's probably not your technique. So it's probably not my technique, unless I keep practicing and just get better at crochet. But but I do agree that I think it looks nice. I think that the to me the other con. And this is in comparison to another technique that I did that I'll talk about in a minute. I think it's a little bulkier than doing, oh, really? than doing the okay. hand back stitch, which I ended up doing on my sweater. So I guess that would be the other con for me is I think it's a, it can be a little bulkier. But that may be because of my inferior crochet skills. Okay, and and I didn't experience the bulkiness, so okay,
1: yeah, it it could be the your your crochet technique versus mine, so to speak. I don't know. Okay, but so the it's a the, it's a popular one. It's,
0: yeah, it is definitely the most popular, the one you see about see the most uh, videos about, etc. Um, needle felting is a technique that I first. I'd heard about, but I watched a Meg Swanson video about it. And essentially, it's, there's a clever little tool made by Clover. At least the one I got was by Clover. And it's a little tool that has five needles in it. And you kind of press down, and these five needles jab at your, <laughs> your, your knitted <laughs> fabric and um it's 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 a very clever little tool and underneath underneath your fabric that you've knitted you, there's a a brush i suppose you could use some other things too i guess you have a foam pad and i guess maybe people use other things but this brush that you can also buy from clover was very handy kind of looks like a like an old scrub brush that your grandmother would have had right and right. um and you basically just go up and down with these five needles into the into the tops into the knit side of your garment, and it creates a felted fabric on the back. Um, with, what was interesting to me is that it didn't really felt the the front; it only felt at the back, so that your yes, that was interesting your your knitted side still looked very smooth and not fuzzy, but the back side was very fuzzy and felted and stuck together. And that is ultimately what I used on my um, sweater, Oranje sweater. And that is, and
1: we're both going to talk about our projects, but that is what I also used on my pillow top. Right. I needle felted the, uh, the steak panel.
0: So then a lot of people will, we'll use a sewing machine to reinforce and did you try that? I did I did and I and I had
1: I had some problems identifying exactly where to put that stitch um uh, so you you first identify your center column and then the idea is that you're going to stitch to the side of each of the legs of that center column and i didn't understand that in the beginning so i instead stitched down the middle of the column each column adjacent to the center column right
0: that's what i thought you were supposed to do
1: well i did too but then i saw another so here again i guess more experts and more ideas i saw another um youtube demonstration where they actually did it to the right of the leg, to the left of the leg of that center column. And that turned out better, Linda, than doing it the other way.
0: Okay, because you have the reinforcement there, right there on the stitch that you're cutting. Correct. Okay.
1: Now, a couple of things I will mention. One is, and I believe one of the videos I watched, they, you, you run the stitch two times on each side. And that does make a difference versus a single stitch down,
0: okay.
1: you go over it again.
0: Okay.
1: Um, this would be a good technique for your non, for your superwash wool or for your uh, Cotton. non-wool items. Okay, right. Okay, and I truthfully, if I were going to use this technique, not one of my favorites, um, I much prefer the some of the others, but if I were to do it again, I would not only stitch adjacent to those two legs, I would still go over a column and do that. I would do double on each side.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I, my sewing machine is just really giving me problems right now. So that is the reason that I didn't attempt it. But I think if I had a good sewing machine that I really liked that was very smooth and easy to operate, I think I would probably like this method but i didn't try it so i i think
1: and i didn't mention and it might be my it it might be just my eyes but i found it hard on the machine staying within the area i was supposed to stay yeah no i and identifying that area yeah
0: i could understand that so um then similar to that is to do a hand back stitch and this is something that i did not only on a swatch but I actually did on my sweater where you and I used yarn that was my sweater was a sport weight yarn and I used some yarn that was a fingering weight so just slightly right. smaller and I just did a now I've a lot of the instructional videos I saw said to do a back stitch up and then a running stitch back down now I didn't do that. I just did the back stitch, and I felt like doing the back stitch all the way up, and like you just said on the sewing machine, I did the back stitch in the center of each of the stitches adjacent to the stitch that I was cutting, and and I felt that was pretty secure. And to me. Mm-hmm. That's what I was saying. Compared to crochet, even even my best, neatest, finest crochet, that that back stitch seemed a little less bulky than the similar crochet stitch. Okay. Which, in some ways, you're kind of doing the same thing, right? You're you're just you're either back stitching a loop around that stitch, or you're crocheting a loop around that stitch, right? So. Yeah, no, I, I think with the crochet, you're
1: you're actually involving the leg of that center column so the crochet hook goes into two stitches it goes into the leg of the column next to the center column and the leg of the center column okay i see what
0: you're saying yeah which is why i think of it as being more bulky So you like this? You like this method, then? Linda? I did like the backstitch, yeah. And it was kind of the one of the last things I did because I I had decided I was going to needle felt my sweater, but I was afraid of just needle felting it and not having some other reinforcement. Okay. So it was and a I, last minute um, addition.
1: I I liked the back stitch. I also tried it on a swatch because it it was easy to identify the column or the stitches that i was involving okay right for me it was so that was an advantage for me
0: all right and then you can just cut right oh
1: actually um this this is just you know the easiest one possible (laughs) right you just identify the column and take out those sharp scissors and start cutting right but there's a warning this has to be non-superwash yes it
0: does and it's really not as bad as it sounds I I tried this on Mm -hmm. non-superwash wool and this you know the good you know the good news is the stitches don't unravel horizontally so when you cut you know it's it they, they just sort of stay put now however I, when I, on one of the swatches where I did this, then I went, and I thought, well, what if I was going to pick up now for a facing for my zipper or if I was going to pick up for a button band or whatever? And when I went to pick up, it was a disaster. I have to ask you
1: a question because when I saw these notes, I was like, did you go over
0: a couple of columns to pick up? I'm assuming. I went over, yes, I did. It, and it's still unraveled it, for it you. It did. But this was the swatch that just happened to be Superwash.
1: <gasps> oh. Yes. So. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, again, I think it goes back to what you said earlier. Experimentation is really probably necessary. Yes. To
0: yes. It,
1: get the best result. It really is.
0: And then, okay, as I mentioned earlier, we I found one very interesting video that when you watch the video, you think, oh, this is really, really nice and really great. And it's a Pearl soho method that creates a facing. And I, I won't go into a lot of detail here. We'll, we'll give you a link to it. Watching the video, it, it's a very wide steep stitch panel of 10 stitches, and it's bordered by... Two pearl stitches. So you have these definite columns. And then, of pearls, of right? pearls. And essentially, what you do is you sort of pick up along the pearl columns and then you knit a facing for, I don't know, three or four rows. And then you cut in the middle of this 10 stitch steak panel. So you cut between the fifth and sixth stitch. And then you fold that half over. And then you take the facing you've just created, (laughs) you know, that is still on a needle, and then this folded over section, and you take, so you have two legs then of the folded over section, and then the stitch that's on the needle that you've previously picked up, and then you knit all that together. And... When you watch their video, it looks really beautiful and neat. And I guess if you were making maybe some heavy item, like a jacket or something that, you know, needed some really sturdy zipper mm-hmm. facing, maybe it would be great. My, my sample of it was sort of a disaster. It really didn't look anything like, you know, it's kind of like you used to see these, these Pinterest fail photos where people would see something on Pinterest and then they would do it and doesn't look anything like it. That's kind of was, was my experience. I still think it's a very interesting method. I can't say that I will use it, but I, I think it's worth for people that are interested. I think it's worth just, just taking a look at the video and maybe giving it a
1: try. I know you said you didn't like your results or they weren't neat looking, but was it bulky? It It sounds super,
0: super bulky. Yeah. It was super bulky. It was really cumbersome to do, and I'm pretty good at picking up stitches, so I don't understand what the problem was. Yeah. It it just didn't really work for me. Another kind of interesting method that I discovered was um, a video by a guy called the Domesticated Bear, and he's To my knowledge, he's not a knitter because he has a a number of videos on YouTube that talk about all kinds of household-related things. But he puts in a zipper in some commercially made sweaters of his. And what he did is he used a fusible interfacing. So he basically just identified the center of the sweater where he wants to cut, and then he put this fusible interfacing and then he you know, used an iron to fuse it, which I thought was interesting because maybe I don't know what his sweater was. If it was like acrylic or, or what, <laughs> you know, maybe it could have melted. But he did this on several different sweaters. He made a half zip, I think, in one, on one sweater, and he made a full cardigan on the other. And he made it look really easy, and I kind of thought it was an interesting technique and in a very simple way to, to just reinforce with fusible interfacing.
1: I think it'd be great for those non wool fibers, right, yeah,
0: yeah, like a cotton yeah. in particular maybe
1: yes I, that's what I was thinking that it would be good to try
0: that, yeah, so i thought I thought he was kind of in and he's he's kind of a he's kind of like a big burly guy, so he's kind of just interesting to watch
1: and you'll add that to the show yeah. notes right yep. so they could check him we out. we'll
0: have that in the show notes for sure okay so we actually did Steak. We did. And we Steak together via Zoom, which was kind of fun because <laughs> I needed somebody to hold my hand. Pat was just willing to just jump in and cut hers and go for it. She was, she was raring to go. Well, Linda, you had a cardigan. I
1: had a pillow top that was a 12 by 18. <laughs> I, I think there's a little... Uh, I could just make the pillow top smaller. It might be harder for you to... Oh.
0: <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I could make the cardigan smaller, but it wouldn't, wouldn't work well for me. Um, but So um, what, I ended, what I ended up doing is, as I mentioned, I decided I'd like the needle felting method best, but I wasn't 100% confident to just do that. So my, because even though I tried the crochet method many times, I just hate doing it. And it I thought it was very cumbersome for me that I did the back stitch by hand using fingering white wool, and then once I did that, I had, I took a very, my sweater is, is green, white, and black, and I took some orange yarn, and I put an orange running strip up the column that I was going to cut, mm-hmm. and then I needle felt it the whole thing, and and I was kind of surprised with the needle felting. You had to go through, you know, using the little tool, and go, you know, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, you know, five or ten times in the same little spot. In order to get to me like a good feltedness on the back, and so I did all that, and yeah, and then just cut it. Now I, I am going to, I am going to. You're doing a zipper, I'm going to right? do a zipper, and and I, oh, I and I did do a swatch of this. What I decided to do. A lot of people that have made this Aronier sweater have, basically, after they've cut, they pick up um in the column next to the where you've cut and then purl a row and then do an um an i-cord bind off so basically you're just creating a facing that the the zipper will sort of be under after you sew in the zipper so that's what i did it worked out great it wasn't quite as scary after doing all those swatches it wasn't as scary as it could have been
1: um and i agree um i i knew i wanted i had a bunch of and i mentioned this uh pillow this yarn which is the felted rowan felted tweed had a bunch of different colors i knew i wanted to do color work but i didn't want a big project so i thought i'm gonna make a top for a pillow that'd be fun to have and so i thought i'm gonna and um i used the mdk um uh, book i'm uh, the little book I mentioned last time, but I found the pattern in there, but I thought I'm going to do it in the round because I don't want to purl with color. Right. So then I decided, okay, how can I do that? And then it was like, okay, I'll put a steak in. I did a seven stitch steak, and I was not real clear about uh, identifying where the steak started, you know, and then where it ended. I wish now I had done that. It would have, for just identifying those seven stitches, it would have made it easier. That's one of the things I learned. You did it with a checkerboard.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because where, in my pattern, see, and I would do this differently now. In my pattern, the steak stitches was kind of at the beginning of a row, let's say. So, at the times when you were changing, and sometimes you would change color, and if you're not doing a very clean jogless join, which I know how to do, but I never really take the time to do when I'm actually knitting, that, you know, you get this little jog where you're changing color, right? Okay. And so, I would, I would put the steak stitches on either side of the beginning of a row. So, that basically, you're cutting your, your jog in your color change, if that makes sense. Which is what I did, right? I don't know what you did. But, well, so, I,
1: I, let's say I cast on 100, and then I added 7 to that, and then joined in the round. Right. So, my steep panel is on 1, right? And then I cut in the middle of that panel.
0: But is the steek at the beginning of the round? See, what I'm saying is that I would put the beginning in my, if I were writing this pattern again for Ann Weaver, who I, I very cute. I saw Ann Weaver doing something else this weekend in another podcast. But anyway, uh, I would start the round in the middle of the steek rather than on, at the side of the steak, if that makes sense. So I had, I had five steak stitches, and so you cast on, and then you do the five steak stitches, and then you do whatever color you're doing, right? Right. What I'm saying is I would have done three steak stitches, knit the rest of the round, and then do two steak stitches at the end of the round so that my beginning and end of the round would be in the middle of my steek rather on one side or the other of my steek.
1: Okay. Okay. So
0: that it's not going to matter. Once I put the I-cord edging on, the I-cord edging is going to cover the fact that, you know, I have this little jog where some of my color right. changes are. But no, no, maybe there's a reason patterns aren't written that way, but, that was just what I was thinking.
1: I, I think that I was unhappy the way I distinguished the steak panel, and I would do it differently. And in fact, next time I think, and I don't know why you couldn't do this, why and not do the pearl Soho uh, method, but why couldn't you start your steak with a pearl stitch? add your other steep stitches to the panel and in the panel with a, with a purl. Wouldn't that make it much easier for identification?
0: Well, yeah, except the main reason that you're knitting in the round is you don't want to purl. Oh, <laughs> well, okay. I guess in my head.
1: I mean, it's only one I stitch. That would be a bloody nuisance probably for a sweater here again, I was doing a small project.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess you could still do it. It's only one stitch every, you know, or two stitches every round, whatever,
1: but. And, and I needle felted also, Linda. Um, And I had had experience with needle felting prior to, you know, having knitting becoming my obsession. Um, I used to do other fiber work, but I've needle felted in the past. So I knew that I knew, what, I knew what it would look like, and I knew I didn't need... I didn't think I needed a reinforcement, so I did not do one. Oh, you didn't? Okay, cool. I did not, no. I only needle-felted the hand. Uh, you were being brave. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. I've blocked it. I've, I mean, I cut it, I blocked it, and it looks great. All right. I just have to sew
0: All it right. now. So, yay. We are brave, successful stickers. We are, and I... I would recommend it to anyone. Yeah. How about you? It was fun. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I'm glad that it's, I've done it and the fear is taken away. And now I feel confident about going forward. So, all right. Me too. So what are we raving about? Well, you go first. What have you got up? I am going to rave about some of our oh. fantastic listeners. Number one, we've had a big increase in listenership in the last month, which is pretty incredible. So welcome to all of our new listeners, and thank you. We hope to hear from you. But in the past week, I have been blessed by the generosity of two listeners. The, The first is a woman who actually... I have met, I've only met her, I guess, one time. Her husband works with my husband, and I guess it came up in conversation. They were talking at work that that their wives knit, and my husband said to her husband, oh, my wife has a podcast, and he gave the guy um, the business card for Brave Knitting, and then subsequently his wife started listening to the podcast, and she is an avid listener, I understand, and... I met her at a party that they had at their house, and we talked about knitting, and we've had a few email exchanges, but a couple weeks ago, she was listening to the episode that Ann and I had done about blocking, and she heard me say that I didn't have any um, blocking wires. And so she just emailed and said, oh, I have a set of blocking wires I hardly ever use. If you ever want to borrow them sometime, you know, feel free and, you know, I'll have my husband bring them to work and give them to your husband. So so anyway, I finished the Destination Unknown shawl and I definitely wanted to use blocking wires for those. And so she lent me her blocking wires, which I blocked this morning. So thank you to Elaine for letting me borrow. That's a great story. I love it. But then we had another listener, Ann, and Ann was listening to a podcast about when I mentioned that I found on the trash to treasure table at my knitting guild, the set of Takumi interchangeable needles, and Ann emailed us to say that she had purchased the same needles a couple of years ago, She does not like bamboo at all, and she wanted to gift those needles to us. And Pat, since you were the person who has been in the market for interchangeable needles the past couple months, you have been gifted these beautiful, pristine, hardly ever used, takumi bamboo interchangeable needles. So thank you to Anne.
1: I'm so excited. When you told me about it, I was jumping up and down. And because I love I love the bamboo needles. So I do too. It's a wonderful gift. Thank you, Ann. So, thank you. Thank,
0: thank you, you. Ann and Capel and Elaine here in Dallas for your generosity. What are you raving about?
1: Well, I mentioned and you I think mentioned that uh I used to use a I used to use a a dense foam. To do my needle felting oh right and then i i also watched the meg swanson um video and she was using that brush by clover okay and i thought that's the weirdest thing i just (laughs) i just couldn't get over the brush because i was used to the foam so then when i was practicing uh needle felting i brought i got out my foam and i was having great problems with it it just was not and I didn't know if it was my old tool, my old uh, punch tool with those five needles. So I thought, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna treat myself and I'm gonna buy the brush. Oh my god! I'm gonna rave about it. What a difference! Oh, okay, good. And, and versus that brush, and I bought the large one. You probably did too. Um, that large size is about a four by six. Yep. And you're right. It looks like a, it looks like a scrub brush, right? right? right. And then a hard plastic bottom. Yeah. But I love the way it kind of gently grips your wool piece, right? When you lay it on top. Yes. And then mm-hmm. when you actually are needle felting, you're hitting that plastic bottom. I was anyway, when I was going up and down. Yeah. When yeah I, was I, punching. I
0: probably wasn't that aggressive.
1: Uh, yeah. I was very aggressive, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but Anyway, I just um, I don't know how to live without it. So, it's my new favorite tool right
0: now. Okay. So, my misbehave it is just you know to do with steking. One of the one of the practice steak items that I did was we had talked about the Katie's cap knit-along with Morehouse Farm last time, and I was working on that, and I decided that it just wasn't going to work for me. And so rather than frog it, I just bound off, and I thought, well, because it was using the same yarn as the sweater I was going to steak, I thought it was just a good practice steaking item. But it it had a two-by-two rib in it, and I became very confused and found it kind of hard to steek in the rib portion of that cap. Now luckily my sweater didn't have a rib, but I'm thinking a lot of time, you know, a lot of most sweaters you're you're going to have a rib. And so I wonder I wonder if you're doing a if you're doing that if if you just don't do a rib for the steeking part. I guess I guess in the future, that's what I would.
1: What, what part? I don't think I understand. What part was causing you problems in the rib?
0: Well, because it's a two by two rib,
1: right? And
0: I don't know. There was just something about it that I, I had, I had trouble. I guess because it wasn't. I guess it wasn't identified, you know, with like sticking stitches. So maybe that's okay. just the difference. Maybe I figured this out that. That if you were doing a rib, you just wouldn't do the rib for those five or seven steaking stitches. Anyway, I just found it difficult then to, when I was practicing, to, to kind of go from cutting the rib into the, um, the regular part of the sweater. And I had trouble in a lot of cases, on a lot of my swatches, just staying in the same damn column. Um, okay. and it could be because I was working with a darker color and it's just harder to see. So anyway, that's my little, little misbehave. Well, it's interesting that
1: you mentioned, um, Katie's cap. Is that how it's pronounced? I think so. K-E-P. K-E-P. Um, because that's my misbehave. I actually started oh. the Fair Isle hat, uh, thinking that would be a good way to see if I want to do a sweater. And i of course like a good knitter i uh, i created a swatch i did a color work swatch in the round i got gauge so then i started knitting my hat and i got past the rib and about 20 rows into the actual color work of the hat uh, top and um, or up the side i should say And I'm looking at this thing, Linda, and I said, this isn't going to fit. There's no way this is going to fit. Sure enough, I put it on my head and I can't, I cannot even pull it down over the, the top of my head. And I'm thinking, okay, I, I, what's wrong? I got gauge when I, when I did my swatch, what's going on? And so I ripped it out and, and I ripped it all the way out and changed needle sizes for the brim, then, so now I'm up a needle size, I'm knitting again, and now I don't like how the color, the the brim looks fine, but I don't like the way the color work is looking, the pattern part. Okay. So, and it's a size needle larger than what my swatch was, right? Because I did the color work and, and the swatch. So I rip it out again. But this time I only ripped down to the brim. I saved the brim and then changed needle. So I, I have a bigger needle size for the brim versus <laughs> the hat. Okay. So three times later, I'm I'm almost to the very top. So all right, we're getting there. Yay!
0: Yeah. So my my save what, what, is really what about your save? It's something we've we've already talked about, but just I would say. Before you steak, test out several methods and use a swatch. And so I just think this was just a great example of how swatching can really be fun. I think for, in particular for a steak, if you do a swatch in the material that you'll actually be steaking, then you, you, you really kind of know what you're dealing with. So that's my quick little save tip is just, just do a swatch before you
1: steak. And my save tip is real quick also. And it is, I'm wondering, and I didn't get to test it out before this episode, but I did my swatch in the color work pattern, but I didn't do a swatch with the, the brim, the ribbing, the two by two. And I wonder if that was a mistake. I don't know, but I'm thinking if you have two different kinds of patterns, one is a color work, one is something different, Different stitches, do you need to maybe swatch in both?
0: Yeah, and I guess in most cases that they'll t- particularly with color work, because your top color work is presumably going to be tighter than your stockinette or perhaps even a rib. But
1: Yeah. I, I mean, and I, I I had hoped to do it before this episode, but I to do a swatch in, you know, in the rib, but I didn't.
0: Um, okay. But so there we go. I'm, swatch, I'm swatch, will do swatch. That in the Every, always swatch. Just swatch all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. My crave. Okay. Uh, I still have my crush on Andrea Wrangle, and so my crave is a sneaking project called Little Dude. Ooh. Little Dude is just the cutest sweater. If you are familiar with the movie The Big Lebowski, and the Dude wears this, I don't know, I think it's kind of an ugly sweater. But, it, you know, he's kind of famous for wearing this big kind of sweater, button-up-the-front shawl collar, and has a little motif on it. Uh, she has a pattern for that adult-size sweater also. But she's made a baby and child version of it that is just so cute. And I have a another... I guess I'm trying to think what this child is. It's my, my husband's first cousin, who is much younger than us. He had a baby back in January. Anyway, so little Charles is going to be getting a, a little dude sweater that um, is, is also something that will be steeped, but it's just so adorable. Another pattern by Andrea Rangel, so yay to Andrea
1: so i a couple of weeks ago was you know i surf at night before i fall asleep and look at patterns and i ran across this one i don't even know where and i just it kind of knocked me over because it's a color work all over sweater linda and it's not fair isle okay okay and i thought oh my god this is it this is it so i put it you know i saved it in my favorites It's called, and I I don't know how to pronounce it, A-P-H-O-T-I-C. Aphotic? A p h. Spell
0: it again. A-P-H.
1: A-P-H-O-T-I-C.
0: Aphotic. How would you pronounce that?
1: Aphotic? Aphotic. Okay. It's by This Bird Knits, and that's a designer I was not familiar with either.
0: How do you spell? And it's, pardon? Blissburg? Bliss?
1: This this bird.
0: Knits oh, this T H I S.
1: This bird knits. Yeah. Okay. And it's published in, and you might even have this issue, it's published in Pom Pom issue 30. Oh, in Pom-Pom 30. I okay. stopped getting pom-pom. And it and the reason I was attracted to it, Linda, for two reasons. You know, I don't, I'm not a fan of stocking knit stitch. Right. You know, right. large parts of the body. This this one has colour work yoke. And a texture, the rest of the sweater is textures. Okay. Using, you know, just using one yarn, but, you know, different stitches creating some texture. So I, um, you know, I put it in my favorites and then I was getting ready for today's episode. I went back and looked at it and realized, oh no, it's worsted. I don't want to knit a worsted sweater. So I think I'm going to try to convert it.
0: Oh, yeah. You're brave. You've taken Patty Lyons class. We can just take that into a DK or a sport. No problem. I
1: I really like the sweater.
0: Okay. All right. We shall see. Maybe a future episode of how you converted the pattern. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that wraps up Steaking for today. And until next time. Yes be brave Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information, check out Brave Knitting at Facebook or Ravelry group. You can also find us on Instagram at b e e brave knitting and email us at b e e brave at gmail.com.